You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall the go-to retailer for all of your Georgia gear and accessory needs. All the cold weather gear, guys, it is hitting the shelves right now. So don't wait. Visit them in-store in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in Athens or online at alumnihall.com today to secure all of your Georgia gear and accessory needs before they sell out. You guys know I'm your host, Tyler, and this week we are back to our regularly scheduled programming which means my longtime co-host Curtis joins me to recap Georgia's latest victory over the Auburn Tigers. The Dogs have now won 8 of 9 in the series, 11 of the last 13, 14 of the last 17, and 16 of the last 21 matchups in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I mean, once upon a time, guys, like back when I was like a little kid, this was a a tight and relatively back-and-forth rivalry, but not the case anymore. It has become completely one-sided. And as far as I'm concerned, with no change in that reality in sight. But today, obviously, we're not worried about history. We're concerned with this year's edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. And we will dive deep into that here in just a minute. But first, when you find yourself making plans to make a visit to Athens, Take my word for it and book the Normaltown Cottage in the beautiful Normaltown neighborhood of Athens with fantastic bars and restaurants just a short walk away, free parking on a tree-lined street, three bedrooms, a full kitchenette, big screen TV, and an awesome host. The Normaltown Cottage really has become the best place to stay in the Classic City for any occasion. And if you don't trust me, all you have to do is check out the reviews on Airbnb to get an even better feel for just how awesome the Normal Town Cottage is. So don't wait. Check out the Normal Town Cottage on Instagram, or you can click on the link that is pinned to our Glory UGA Twitter profile. I guess it's at Glory underscore UGA. You can click that link, and you can book your stay today. But all right, Curtis, let's talk some football. You and I both made the short trip to Auburn on Saturday, and we witnessed another beatdown inside Jordan Hare as the Dogs closed this one out with a 34-10 to road victory. Curtis, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't. I don't want to put words in your mouth. 
But I kind of get the feeling that a tight game is just around the corner. Like, it's inevitable at some point, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's weird. It feels like Clemson was so long ago because I'm always like, we've never had a tight game. But then you think back and there was a Clemson game, which wasn't a tight game. But I do agree that it, it's, you would think it's inevitable. Yeah, we had that tight game to open things up. But for the past month, blowouts have become the rule after that Clemson game. And this game against Auburn was obviously no exception. What was your biggest takeaway from this latest blowout victory, Kurt? Um, I think it was resiliency. Um, let's be honest, Auburn came to play. Their crowd came um, to support them. Um, that was a, a raucous environment. And we took their best shot, especially on that first drive. And, I mean, Auburn gave us everything they had, and yet our team um, – did, especially in that first half, did not play perfect, yet they went out there and built a lead and did what they had to do um, to, to take care of business. So I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is they just played a complete game. You mentioned the Auburn crowd, and I've been there many times. I've been there in games where the crowd really wasn't a factor at all. Like going back, like 2015 is the first one that comes to mind for me. Like where the, like you go into that stadium, and that was the year obviously Mark Rick got fired, and I thought he was fighting for his job. I thought when we won that game, that might have saved his job, especially then after we beat Tech the next, or I guess two weeks after that. But obviously we know it didn't play out that way. But I remember sitting in the state in the stadium that week, and it's like, whoa, this is – weird this crowd is not into and Auburn wasn't great that year but then obviously 2017 and that was a buzzsaw it was an insane crowd 2019 I thought it was also a really loud crowd as well what did you make of of the crowd this time around Curtis the first half I thought they were into it and they were trying they were making a difference but I felt like after we got that fourth down stop before the half I think the crowd really got deflated at that point what was your take on that the thing that stuck out to me is as loud as the crowd was and as much as they tried to be an, an influence, it actually kind of felt like they never did, which is just what shocked me. I mean, you never saw false starts. The team never really seemed to be struggling with their communication, which is a huge thing that you usually see, especially in an away game. So that, that thing really stood out to me. I don't know if you say put more credit to the Georgia team for, you know, being prepared and being able to handle that. Um, so I want to take, I want to mention that, but I definitely, I, to, in my opinion, the Auburn all crowd really, the air fell out of it. Um, I want to say in the third. It was quarter. dumb when, when when Lad got the when we hit Lad for the long what sixty yard touchdown. It was over. yeah, it was like dumb. they scored the touchdown. They scored the touchdown. Got loud when they did that, but it, a lot, I felt like it. The air was still bad, bad because they had to fight as hard as they did to score that touchdown to still be down by fourteen points. Yeah, absolutely. They got they didn't get loud for a second there, but real quickly we took control of that game again and th- you're right though i like what you said though. like they weren't really a factor for our team they were allowed to start the game it was a loud environment it was a hostile environment and when they had success in that first drive i think holding them to a field goal to open the game curse how big was that to me it was huge because realistically it felt like auburn emptied out their playbook just in that one drive i mean they ran ev- it literally felt like they ran everything that they possibly could have and it didn't get them in the end zone. And then we made the adjustments the rest of the game. It kind of became a non-factor other than, you know, a few big plays here and there. But that was their best overall drive that they had. Yeah, they were allowed to start the game. And obviously they they liked the field goal great. But I think if they would have scored a touchdown there, I think it might have been, I don't want to say a different game. I think the crowd would have stayed in it maybe a little bit longer. And I turned to my wife in the stadium when that when we held them that field goal there. And I just simply said, that's a huge win. I know no one wants to say that at the moment. It's like, God, we gave it three. We let them just drive down the field. And You know, I'm a nervous wreck in the game at all times. But I turned to it and I said, that is a huge win. Holding them to a field goal there 
was massive because it didn't let the crowd get even more into the game and kind of build that momentum. Because I told you guys last week, one of the concerns I had was that we have a lot of inexperience on this team. And Stetson Bennett has played for us a fair amount now, but he did not play in a hostile environment last year. He played on the road. Like in Alabama, you would think it's a hostile environment, but Curtis, you and I were both there. I mean, what, 20,000, 25,000 people there in that stadium? Yeah, it was nowhere to what you saw this weekend. And I think Kirby made a great point when he said realistically, and you saw it across the board with a lot of these games. This was, a, you know, the first road test for a lot of these kids. Um, you think of all the freshmen and sophomore. Oh, absolutely it was. It absolutely was. And I, I was at least moderately concerned about that coming to the game because I knew we had some injuries. I knew, obviously, the guys like Brock Bowers, A.D. Mitchell, guys who are big-time performers for us starters even darnell washington even like jermaine burton who obviously did not end up playing which kind of freaked me out to start the game almost lost my mind there on that but those guys who played a lot last year they did not experience a hostile environment like that and i i just i'm scarred for all time by what happened in 2017 that buzz saw how things kind of just spiraled and snowballed out of control on this because so, i've so i've seen it happen so i at least has like some level of concern that could happen and i think holding that field goal in the on that first drive was huge to kind of not allow them to build any more momentum than they already had coming to the game with the crowd going crazy and then facing number two team in the country, soon to be number one team in the country. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was huge. And I thought the team really responded well. And you're right, Curtis. I, I don't think as loud as the crowd was for most of the first half, I don't think it ever really affected our guys. At least they didn't have the penalties, didn't have the, the dumb mistakes, those kind of things. There were, I would say there was some confusion defensively at times, which is uncharacteristic. Like guys getting lined up on the on the on the defensive line, things like that. But I, I don't know how much of an impact the crowd had on that because the crowd wasn't really loud when Auburn had the football. But for me, my takeaway, Curtis, tell me what you think about this. I thought this was a throwback game. I thought in this game, we looked like a more talented and dominant version of, let's say, the 2017 team. Did you get that feeling? Stetson threw the ball 21 times. You can say game management. We didn't ask Stetson to go out there and win the game, but we established the run. We didn't hit explosive run plays, but we were, I want to say gashed them, but we were having success moving the football on the ground. We were kind of imposing our will, especially in the second half. And that forced Auburn to bring guys in the box. Instead, so was able to deliver some explosive plays in the pass game off of play action. Does that not sound exactly like what we did with Jake Fromm back in 2017? More than anything, it actually reminded me of the Alabama teams of the passes who I, when I watched, who I thought of, where they hit a couple big plays, really gashed, you know, attaching the run game and play dominant defense. Yeah, I mean, that's that was the formula for this game. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week on the recap episode. I know we had to switch things around last week, but one of the things I've been saying is that we've shown, I know it's still, I mean, I guess we're half of the season now, which sucks to even say, but we've shown the ability to win games in different ways. Okay. We've been able to go back to the Clemson game. We obviously won with defense. We harassed the quarterback, made a, a huge defensive play with Chris Smith with a pick six, obviously, that, to, to win that game. Then you come and you play UAB the following week. We're able to win well, through the air with the passing game because they were selling out to take away the run. The next week, we start to run the football more. And then this week, you have this situation where it's, okay, you know what? We are wounded right now. We don't have our starting quarterback. We have all these guys out. So let's just go back. And I, I, I like what you're saying there, Chris, like a throwback Alabama team, because I think the early Kirby Smart era was kind of modeled off that, right? Yeah, that's really where he felt like he wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where he was coming from, and he saw how much success Alabama had with that. So he's like, I want to build that here in Georgia. So the early versions of the, of the Kirby Smart era, our offenses, our teams in general, were kind of built like that. I think 
Saturday was kind of a throwback game. I don't think it has to be that way every single week. I think that was, considering the injuries and the situation that we were in that game, on the road in a hostile environment, that was just what the game plan needed to be. And we were able to obviously go out and execute at a really high rate and win going away. And I think if we have to win games like that in the future, we can. Because I think this is a more talented and dominant version of the 2017 team. And I know that's crazy to say because that team played for national title. was overtime just a blown coverage away from winning a national title. I think this team is more talented. It doesn't guarantee us anything. It doesn't guarantee an SEC title. It doesn't guarantee a, a playoff berth. It doesn't guarantee a national title. But I think this team is more talented and more dominant up and down the roster than what, what we were in 2017. It was kind of just a throwback performance. I guess my other takeaway, Curtis, you kind of you kind of mentioned it earlier. We are wounded right now, man. I mean, let's go down the injury list. So tell me if I'm leaving anything out. Backup quarterback, starting safety out for like the, the second or third drive of the game. Both starting wide receivers from week one did not play in this game. No Arian Smith, still no Tyke. Tyke actually played a little bit in this game, right? He had to, I think, play some emergency. I think he's still yeah. trying to get into he came the in a dime package yeah. a couple of times, but he was he still wasn't a major factor in this game. He's still not 100%. No way, Amir Speed. Amir Speed looks like he's going to be out for a while. Starting left tackle, Jamari Sauer goes out in the second quarter. Kiaris Jackson's playing, but he's still not 100%. No Kenny McIntosh. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. But just that off the top of my head, that is a serious list of injuries right now, Curtis. And then we still went in there in a very hostile environment, in the Deep South's oldest rivalry, and beat the holy hell out of Auburn in that frenzied environment. What does that tell you about this team right now, Kurt? First off, I think it talks about the depth of this team. You know, I was talking to someone um, Sunday, and I think the thing that stuck out to me, especially when you saw it in the second half, is just our absolute our difference in depth compared to most teams. Because this was a hotter Saturday that, we, we've, that most teams have seen um, in the last couple of weeks, this is like more what you expect in like September temperature wise yeah. and what it felt it like. And you, and you saw it, Auburn was gassed completely in that second half, especially because we started just getting after them in the run game, started breaking them down. And, and that's what stood out to me the most. And it was like, they talked to, I think it was Stetson after the game said, you know, it's a testament to the staff and how they recruit because they recruit such talent and they do have that next man up mentality. But a lot of people may want to have that mentality, but they just don't have the players that even as the next man up, they're not just not good enough. And yet we are. Well, that's the mantra of every team next man up, but you're exactly right. Curtis. That's a great way to say it. Every team wants to believe that every team says that out loud, but not every team can do that. And not every team believes they can do it. Not only can we do that, our team believes that we can do it. So if a guy goes out, you don't see the dejection in our team. You don't see them kind of start yeah, to hang their heads. Let's, let's be honest. Dan Jackson is not a very talented player, but he plays hard and he does his job. Um, and he came out there and there, you know, there wasn't anything like Chris Smith right now feels like a, especially one of the leaders in that defensive backfield, but you wouldn't have really known it the way we played the rest of the game. Dan Jackson, I mean, look, is Dan Jackson as talented as Lewis Seen or Chris Smith? No, he's not. But he's he's a good athlete. I mean, he's a four or five type guy. But you're right. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, where you're going with that there. But he, he knows where to be. Coaches trust him. That's how he moved all the way up the depth chart, plus all the guys departing the program in the secondary, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, we when we say next man up, we can say that with a straight face. We actually mean it because we have a next man and a next man and a next man. And I don't like the injuries. Uh, we'll talk more about that later on. It's concerning to me because we are going to play better teams and we need these guys back when we play better teams. And we saw Alabama last night, Curtis, against Texas A&M. Alabama's better than Texas A&M. They had no business losing that game. 
doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter if you're Alabama. No one is immune to a game like that, right? Where, you know, the stars just align and you find yourself in a dogfight late in a game that has no business being a dogfight against a team that has no business even competing with you. And somehow you end up losing the game. So I just, I don't want to be in that situation. That's like, again, this is just my, my Georgia fandom coming through and just all the years of, of witnessing the disappointments and all the scars I have from all the years. And then just watching Alabama last night, and you're sitting there watching like, wow, if this can happen to Alabama, it could happen to us. I get, you just have this feeling that a close game is somewhere in the near future. Maybe it's this week. I hope not. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope, I'm, I hope this is the Larry Munson to me, and I'm just overreacting here. But with those injuries, but, it makes it more likely that something like that could happen. It, and it, I just do, it does to- make it more likely, but, you know, I mean, that we talked, the close game was so close, and that was a huge game. There was a lot riding on that. It felt like there were, you know, that game was just hot. Everything about it was different, and yet our team played resilient in that second half, even when Clemson put together a drive. Um, that so we have played that close game where you kind of like this was like the first time Bama had been within like 14 points of anyone. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, that's that's another fair point, and it did not work out so well. They made too many mistakes down the stretch there, and they did. I do think Alabama watched that game. They let that environment impact them. We did not let that happen on Saturday, and that's that's saying something. And and, and I do think, or I've said this all season long. I think this is a different team, and this is just another example going to our first like really hostile environment and coming out still unscathed and another dominant performance. It's just the latest example of how this is a different team, and I'm trying to like readjust my mindset i have all these years this is not the same georgia team that has scarred me all these years in the past this is a different team and they keep showing that week after week after week well no i just feel like i've made that comment too it's like this is the first time it feels like the teams start you know top to bottom is really taking on the whole kirby smart persona um with everything they do yeah they're just different man they're just built differently this year and i I don't know if it's the offseason skull sessions or just maybe it's it's the recruiting finally showing through and we're, we're getting more skill talent, all those kind of things. Obviously, defensively, we are just loaded up and down the roster. I mean, it, but it is. It's just a different team. It's a different feel. And I know that intellectually. Like I go into these games, I'm like doing our – I'm preparing for the preview episode, and it's like I know that we're better than this team, and this game should not be close. But I just have all these years and years and years of trauma that are just built up, and it's like – but is it going to be close? I, but I, I, I had to just kind of recalibrate here and just convince myself this is a different team. And I know it is a different team. I just have to, when I'm sitting in the stadium, I revert back to like old Tyler, old Georgia teams. And I just have to tell myself in the stadium, this is a different team. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But all right, Curse, this is the spot in these episodes where we usually spend like 20 plus minutes talking about the quarterback position. And then that leaves us rushing through everything else. So today, we're going to switch things up a little bit. And instead of starting with the offense, let's go with the defense first. Because after all, that is what is driving this team right now. We'll probably continue to drive the team the rest of the way. So another dominant performance. I mean, not as dominant, but I mean, look, this is a, a quality SEC opponent on the road in the hostile environment. You know, 318 total yards, but I don't know. I mean, I'm annoyed. 55 of those yards came on the last drive in garbage time. They had 263 yards before that. Uh, held them to 27% conversions uh, on third down, 10 total points, 46 yards rushing. Guys, this was a top 20 total offense coming into the into this game Saturday. Coming into the game, they were also top 15 nationally in rushing offense, and it was yet another dominant performance. But But we can't ignore this, Curtis. We did give up 272 yards passing. Yes, 55 of those were in garbage time late in the game on the last drive there. But overall, Curtis – how do you feel about this effort from the defense? You know, it's actually not very surprising because Bo Nix is – you saw it a couple of times where he can make these busted plays happen with his mobility. So that's something that he has the ability to do, the way he can extend plays. And then realistically, there was honestly some plays where he made some just really nice throws because there were times when you think about that one that Demetrius Robertson um, near, the side, uh, you know, near the goal line. That was just a great throw. I mean, Ringo maybe got his hands up a little late or something, but I felt yeah, like that was just – Yeah, make a really play on that. Good. That ball cannot be completed, but it was a great throw. And then, like, there was a couple times where even Breeny tried to undercut him and couldn't because the throw was just so strong. Um, and so, that, but I mean, I wasn't happy. Yes, um, I thought what killed, what bothered me the most was the how open it was over the middle of the field. That you know, they had some drops over the middle of the field, but there were plays there to be made. Yes, there were a couple of drops there. Look, I mean, talking about Bo Nix, I don't want to spend too much time on Bo Nix because we're done with Auburn, but. Bo Nix, guys, was who Bo Nix is. I mean, he's usually better at home, but he was fine. He was, I mean, he, he was, what, 55% completion percentage, what, 21 to 38, 217 yards, only 5.7 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, one interception. That is Bo Nix. That is mediocrity personified. Yeah, he did the whirly bird. He did some backyard Bo Nix stuff, not to the degree, obviously, they did against LSU, but Bo Nix was who Bo Nix was, and we tried to make him beat us from the pocket. And he was not able to do that. Yes, he did make a couple of nice throws, because that's kind of who Bonex is, right? He he makes those tantalizingly like awesome throws occasionally. And you're like, whoa, that's why this guy's out here. That's why he's still a starter. But then, you know, down to down, he's just doesn't do it on a consistent basis. He just cannot. He'll miss too many throws. He'll miss reads. And so and one thing about Bonex, you watch him play, the guy has no conception of how to climb in the pocket. As soon as there's like any pressure, as soon as his first read is not there, what he does instead of climbing. He just does his whirly bird backyard Bo Nick stuff. That's what he does. That's what he reverts to every single time. And until he d- figures that out, he's never going to be anything but mediocrity personified. And I will also say, like, in the passing game, yes, we gave up 272 yards passing. We were leading the country in passing defense coming to the game. And, by the way, we are still not as by as much, not by as large of a margin, but still leading the country in passing defense right now. But you don't like seeing that number, 272 yards. However, I think it needs to be said – 
Did you notice, Carson? Obviously, we played them. We played Bo Nix differently than I anticipated us playing quarterbacks moving forward. Did you notice that in terms of like not stunting and twisting and being as aggressive rushing the passer it, as it we have been to this felt point? At times we, it felt at times we did like the mud rush or whatever you want to yep. call it, where we didn't really truly bring it, but where we tried to keep him in the pocket as much. It felt like we were kind of playing off as instead of trying to give them a bump and you know to make the big play. Yep. I'm not gonna sit here and say we didn't twist and we didn't stunt. We did at times, but we did not do it nearly as much as we do on a regular basis in any other game this season. And even when we did twist and stuff up front, it was like of like the most basic variety. And guys were playing with more discipline up front. They were not were clearly trying to stay in within our rushing lanes. We did a really good job of that. One of the keys to the game I felt coming in was not allowing backyard Bo Nix to come out to play. We had to keep him in the pocket, contain him, and force him to beat us from the pocket. And for the most part, yeah, he got, he escaped the pocket from time to time. And this is what he does. He just he panics and just runs around and has no idea. He's a chicken with his head cut off. He has no idea what he's doing. And sometimes it works out beautifully like he did against LSU. Other times, not so much like he did on Saturday. But I thought we did a good job of keeping him in the pocket. And that did mean at times that we allowed him to stand there and deliver some good throws. And I don't say carve us up, but certainly complete more balls against us than other teams have. And this Auburn, I will say also said this Auburn receiving group is not very good. That's slightly concerning. This is not a good receiving, a, a good group of receivers. They're just not. So I did not like that some, they were able to make a couple of plays against us there. But again, a part of that, a big part of that, in my opinion, was the fact that we just simply played Auburn defensively, especially Bo Nix and Russian passer, played them differently than we had any team to this point and played them differently than I think any team we will moving forward. I know some people say, well, if Bo Nix was able to kind of do that and has this capability, what about Emory Jones? He's also a dual-threat quarterback. Emory Jones is a dual-threat quarterback, but I don't – when I watch Florida play, Emory Jones does not run around and create like Bo Nix does. You know what I'm saying, Curtis? Like, yes, he's a dual-threat guy. They will do a lot more design runs with him than Auburn does with Bo Nix, but he doesn't run around, extend plays, and create the way Bo Nix does. So I don't think we have to defend him necessarily the same way that we defended Bo Nix. Does that make sense? Yeah, and Bo Nix to me is a more dangerous passer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he he he, well, he has the ability to be a more dangerous passer. He's inconsistent. They're both very inconsistent. Bo Nix has those like flashes of lucidity where he's like, oh, wow, that was actually a really good pass. Now I get why you're the starting quarterback. But then two plays later, like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Are you legitimately an SEC quarterback? But yeah, I, just, I don't think that we'll defend most teams – moving forward the way that we had to defend Bo Nix. Alabama, maybe to a degree if we get there, if we end up playing them. But I, yeah, it was just, it was a different defensive game plan, different, I don't say scheme, but just a different approach to playing uh, Bo Nix and then what he's able to do with kind of his ability to escape and create outside the pocket. All right. Oh, let me ask you this, Chris, before we move on to the offense, do you feel as good about the defense coming out of this game as you did coming into it? Yeah, I do, because I don't think the defense, like what you saw against Arkansas or some of these other teams, I never thought they were going to be able to play with that same aggressiveness because, like you mentioned, all those things that kind of require you to, at times, take a conservative approach on defense. And yet we still went out there. Uh, we talked about how in the first drive they threw everything that they had us, and yet we still bowed our necks and made the stop. And I think of all those times we stopped them on fourth down or just you know caused their drives to stop that's because the defense is who we believe they are. I mean, and let's be honest, no matter how good a defense is, there are teams are still going to have success at times because that's just a fact of the matter. No one is perfect. 
Absolutely. And I, I think like we, obviously our players are aspiring to perfection as they should. Now they're not going to be perfect. You're inevitably going to fall short of that. But as a fan base, we have to understand that we're not going to be able to hold every team to like 225 yards of offense. You know, it's just not going to happen throughout the course of the season. There's going to be a game here or there where teams have some success at times. So what, what matters is that you don't give up those points. And we only gave up 10 points. I did not like giving up a touchdown, but Hey, Talk about the ultimate nitpicking. That's the first touchdown that our starting defense has given up all year. So, look, I know that the 272 yards passing is not ideal, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't have any concerns. Like There is a level of concern there, especially with Chris Smith and not only extend that injury. I, I trust Dan Jackson, but Dan Jackson is a backup for a reason. He's, he doesn't start because he's not as good as Chris Smith. So we can't sit here and say, oh yeah, we're we're just as good with, with Dan Jackson back there in, in place of Chris Smith. I don't think that's true. We are razor thin in the secondary right now. We are razor thin. And we have guys like Keely Ringo who have incredibly high ceilings, tons of potential, but it, it's not there yet. I go back to that ball. You, you gave Bo Nix credit for putting a ball in a tight window to Demetrius Robertson late in the game, and I will give him credit. It was a great throw. But I will go back and say, like I said earlier, that ball cannot be completed. Keely Ringo was in as good a position as you can possibly be in. He actually saw the ball. He's got to make a play on that football. All right. I know he's young and he's improving every single game. And I thought he played well for the most part. He should have an interception in the end zone, by the way. Should have yeah. intercepted in the end zone right there. Tough play, but but he made a great play on the ball there. Just didn't quite complete it and complete the catch. But that ball right there has got to be batted away. That ball cannot be completed. Against better teams with better quarterbacks and better receivers, they're going to be able to challenge us in a way that we haven't been challenged through the air. Because honestly, let's be real. We have not been really challenged through the air right now. We just have not. And you start to see maybe a little bit of sign of some sort of vulnerability there that you know teams are going to try to explode. Because right now, nobody can run the football. Auburn came in this game a top 15 rushing offense, and they had less than 50 yards rushing. They have two really, really good running backs, and they have a mobile quarterback that makes it even more difficult to defend the run game, and we were still able to hold them under 50 yards rushing. Teams are going to start trying to attack us through the air. Now, the teams in the next couple of weeks, do they have the ability to do that? We talk about Kentucky, you talk about Florida. I don't know if they are built that way, and that and we're fortunate like that, but we are going to face teams later on when we get to the SEC title game, hopefully if we get there. If we get to the college playoff, we're going to face teams that can challenge us through the air more than we've seen at this point. And we've got to continue to build depth there. We've got to continue to improve. Because right now, I will say I think there's some vulnerability there. We're so good in the front seven that we're able to mask that for the most part. And we're able to make teams one-dimensional. But it was at least slightly concerning to see a team throw for two, for 272, especially a team like Auburn, who I just don't – they are average as grits at wide receiver. All right, Curtis, we've given enough love to the defense. Let's go ahead and flip it over to the other side of the ball and talk about the offense for a couple of minutes. We ended up with 432 yards of total offense, 201 yards rushing, 231 yards through the air, 11 yards per attempt for Stetson Bennett. Obviously, we hit hit on some of those explosive plays. So, Curtis, how did you feel about the overall offensive game plan and the effort on Saturday on that side of the ball? Um, I actually enjoy. I, I, in my opinion, I enjoy the offensive play calling. I thought we called a very good game. Um, the first half, I think we definitely. I mean, as you mentioned, it's not like a, we're calling him the game manager, but 
the fact is, like, we didn't ask Stetson to go out there and throw the ball, but we also didn't just run the ball as much as we did like we did against Arkansas. So we asked him to do some different things, and that was, like, the biggest thing that stood out to me is no matter what the game plan was, we were able to execute. You know, there were some plays we left out there, some miscommunication. Like, I got really scared on that third down play where Stetson missed Kiaris on the miscommunication because that easily could have been a pick. But yeah, overall, across the board, I, I thought we did really well. Um, I thought we mixed it. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the tight ends and in the slot, especially after Smoke Monday went out. That was the one thing I was asking, you know, thinking that we needed to hit some. But I, I like the balance that we have because, like, the thing that stood out to me the most is, like, we were hitting them with the run and then we'd hit them hard with the play action. But we also weren't becoming predictable. Except for that one drive where we just ran down their throat. Other than that, I felt thought we did a good job of being balanced in the fact of you kind of didn't know what was coming. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great breakdown there. Look, I know that Pete, I got a lot of DMs saying, yeah, it was a good performance, but can can we open the offense up a little bit more, please? I got I still get DMs about that every single week. And I understand where people are coming from there because we've talked many times in the show that to win at the highest level, to win a national t- championship, you've got to be a lead on offense. I understand that. And right now, like I said, as one of my takeaways, we look a lot like the 2017 Georgia offense, a, a deeper, more dominant, more talented version of that offense. But we look a lot like that offense. But here's what I would go back to. And that's kind of what I said last week. If you can run the football like we were able to run the football on the road in a hostile environment and you're up by multiple scores, why would you even risk putting the ball in the air with a backup quarterback? Does that make sense, Curtis? Well, and that's the thing, because like you kind of saw it against Arkansas. We kind of took the ball away from Stetson a little bit when we weren't as aggressive throwing the ball after he almost threw that pick. Um, and so we didn't really ask Stetson to throw in tight windows or do anything that we didn't feel like he was comfortable doing or that we thought maybe, hey, we could have a turnover or something, something we didn't want to happen. We kind of took allowed us to take care of the ball and not make the mistakes to beat us or get their crowd back into it or any of those things. I mean, he's thrown the ball 32 times combined the past two games. And he's thrown the ball enough because when he's thrown the football, we have been effective doing it. He obviously has some explosive plays in the passing game that really were huge in that game on Saturday against Auburn. But I go back to it. If we're able to run the football like we were able to run the football this week and also against Arkansas and our defense plays the way it's been playing and we get out to multiple score leads, why are you talking about trying to open the offense up. That doesn't make any sense. All that's going to potentially, yeah, could you score and look high flying and run the score a little bit? Sure. Awesome. That's great. But when you're up by multiple scores and you have a backup quarterback in the game and you have all these skill players injured, all right? Lad McConkie had a huge game. We'll talk about him more in a little bit. I know we're kind of burying the lead there. Lad McConkie is a receiver, but he's primarily a slot receiver. He was playing Z. He was kind of playing out of position. It's not normally what Lad plays. He's played it from time to time, but he's really a slot receiver. So when you're kind of down to really your slot receiver playing out wide at Z and Jermaine Burton, you're starting X's out and you have a, a getting backup quarterback, you're on the road in a hostile environment and you're able to run the football like you're able to run it. Why would you do anything else? And of course, work play action off of that to make them pay for bringing guys in the box the way they were doing, especially in the second half, because they really didn't start the game like that. And I was surprised by that. We were able to fortunately bring them out of those two high safety looks, bring those guys in the box. And once we were able to do that, we took advantage off that with some of those shot plays and the rest was history. I thought it was a beautiful game plan. I thought it was what the game plan needed to be, given the circumstances surrounding this game with our injuries on the road, back at quarterback, all of that. Uh, and all right, Curtis, I really, I do hate to do this because I know that you don't want to talk about it, but I got about a zillion DMs about this and the broadcast. I don't know if you watched the replay yet, but on the replay, 
predictably, the broadcasters were again trying to lead the this is Stetson's team narrative late in the game when they had nothing else to talk about. So I'm just going to ask you, Curtis, it's Stetson Bennett the guy for this Georgia football team? I don't think it is, and I think the biggest – I mean, you know, I'm not saying Stetson can't be, but I think the biggest thing that sets it is it's not one of these teams where they're having to take on the identity of the quarterback. We're really – the thing is we're so talented on defense, and our offense is talented too, the fact that we plug in place. We're not Stet, – Stetson made a good – there were probably three plays out there that he made the JT couldn't. But how many plays are there out there that if JT's in the in the quarter in at quarterback, then maybe we're more aggressive in being that air attack offense that people want us to be, as you saw against South Carolina, where we were attacking more in the passing game, especially on third downs and in these situations where we weren't we didn't have a successful running attack and we had to rely on JT to throw more. It, the thing is they do different things. And I don't think that this you can sit here and make the argument that it's Stetson's team because in the fact is if it was that's the team, I don't know if you'd even hear the conversation of where Kirby's like, we're trying to get JT healthy to get back out there. Are you closer to saying this is Stetson Bennett's team? I'm not. And I think the fact is because we truly, I, I, I think we know we're, we kind of know where the ceiling is with Stetson. Um, Stetson made some good throws. That one the lad was a perfect throw, hit him in stride. But there were other throws in that game. Where he completely he underthrew him. He should have had two long bombs to lad for touchdowns, but completely underthrew him on that first one. Yeah, that the one first one that, um, should have been a Bowers walking touchdown. Yeah, should have been a walking touchdown. Completely underthrew him. The one that Brock Bowers held on to the ball too long, and Brock, it, what should have been an easy completion, ended up being a great contested catch for a big play by Brock Bowers. He made that a much tougher throw, a tighter window. Exactly. Than the, th- the things is he he does he's done some good things, but to sit here and act like he hasn't had his faults at the same time, I think is a little irresponsible in these fans. I mean, you saw it against Auburn like last year. You know, we struggled on offense most of that game, but we made some plays in the end. Um, so you know, so we complete some passive here, some things allowed us to be kind of break it open. And yet everyone and even in Tennessee, our offense was struggling that whole first half. But the turnovers created by our defense and some of the plays we made in the second half kind of allowed us to pull away. But people forget about all those things that, and they just look at the box score and see, look at the good and not look at all the times we struggled. Well, when you dominate a team the way we did and you run away with this game, 34-10, and you see him hit some, some high-profile throws, some big throws, some explosive plays, Lab McConkey makes everyone go wild. It's easy to say, wow, Stetson played awesome. And Stetson did play really, really, really well. But yeah, like, I'm not sitting here saying I'm, I'm not saying Stetson didn't play well because I said he you yeah. know there were some good plays out there. And I think back to the, the read option on that third down, that was a huge play. And you know, I said there's only a couple plays that JT probably couldn't make. And that is and that, that's what I'm talking about. But then how many other plays in the passing game that JT can make that just Stetson can't either read because Stetson his he doesn't read the field as quick as JT is one thing that really stands out to me in the passing game. Stetson's a little bit late getting the ball to people. And and that's the thing. The, the thing is they both have their uh, where they're better in others in their situations. I do think that JT is more decisive with the ball. I'll, I'll grant you that. I do I I will say this for Stetson. I really, really, really like what he brings to the table with his legs and his athleticism. Now, is Stetson Bennett like a Bo Nix level athlete? No, he's not. It's not like you know, to be something he's not. But he's clearly a better athlete than JT Daniels, and that gives us a little something with our offense. It makes our running game more effective. It absolutely, the threat of Stetson makes our running game more effective. He has more escapability than JT. And really, that's what's become so important for quarterbacks nowadays. When we talk about dual threat guys. It's not so much like the quarterback run game. Like, like look at Alabama Bryce Young. 
they don't run any design run plays with him. But it's the scapability, the ability to be able to extend plays. And I think Stetson gives us that more than JT. So I think that is one area where you got to notch the belt for Stetson Bennett. But I do agree with you. I think that JT is a more polished passer. I think he's more decisive with the football. He doesn't put the ball into as many dangerous spots as Stetson does at times. But Stetson is good for one of those, like I'd say one or two a game. He only had one at least. On, against Auburn. But he's usually at least well, one or two a game. And that's the thing because – Especially if we have to throw the ball, he's probably even more likely because you, like I said, against Arkansas last week, he puts it in there, it almost gets it picked, and we kind of just kind of took it out of his hands and said, "We're not going to let you lose this game for us or stop our momentum." And you saw it against Auburn, like we tried to call these plays that not putting him in that position because that can quickly turn the game around. And the one thing I want to say is like everyone wants to be so hard on JT being health, healthy, and I think that's it. I mean, everyone wants him to be healthy, and it can be frustrating, but people forget since the season ended. That when both were healthy, there's not been one question of who our quarterback is, who the leader of this team is. And I think people are forgetting that. Fair. There was never I, even I the word of quarterback contract. All right, last question on Stetson before we move on to our game balls. You talked about his ceiling, how you don't think we have, as a team have as high of a ceiling with Stetson at quarterback than with JT Daniels. Last question on Stetson. Can we win a national title with Stetson at quarterback? I don't believe so, and the biggest reason is, yeah, we were able to do this against Auburn, but say you play in Oklahoma, Ohio State, some of these other teams where you're going to be asked to do more in the passing. You, We literally just mentioned that we've been able to protect him by not requiring him to throw it 30 or 40 times. If we're going to sit back there and ask Stetson to throw it 30 or 40 times, kind of like what we did against Alabama last year, he's good for at least two picks because he's going to put it in a position where he shouldn't, and that can kill you in a big game. That's a fair way to look at it. Here's what I would say. I would say – can we, to answer that question, yes. I think that we can win national titles, Stetson Bennett. Are we as likely to win national titles, Stetson Bennett, as we are with JT Daniels? Right now, I still say no until I see more from Stetson. I, I'm, and he, he might continue to play. We'll see. I don't know how it's going to end up. We'll, we'll see with each coming week. You just take it as it is. I think that we can. And the reason I say yes is because we have the best teams in the country, and that defense is going to keep us in every single game. That does not mean that our defense is not going to be challenged more through the air than we have to this point in the year. And it doesn't mean that there are not teams out there that are going to be able to put up more points on us as there probably are. If we end up playing some of those teams like Ohio state, I know they have issues on defense, but they can score. All right. There are teams that can score. And that does concern me to a degree. If we get into a shootout with one of those teams, can we outscore them with Stetson Bennett? I don't know if the answer is yes. I, here's what I would say: is I just don't I, think I say I, gonna... I'm a lot less comfortable, a lot less comfortable Stetson if we have to get in a shootout. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, because like I said, I mentioned the one game you go back to where we kind of required him to throw a lot. I believe he threw three picks, and two of those were god awful. Just him, him trying to put something where it should didn't need to be. That was last year though, and that was a different team. But yeah, well, yeah. That's but, true. but the thing is, you're seeing it this year too. Except the fact is, we tried to not put him in that position yet. When we've, at, he still has shown that tendency to do that, and in a lot I, less reps. I will say, I, I'm not confident in us winning a shootout with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. I'm not confident in that likelihood at all. But here's the thing: I don't think with our defense, I don't know if we'll be be, be in a shootout. Like there are teams that will be able to score more, more on us than like Auburn did, more than South Carolina, more than Arkansas did. But are we going to get into a shootout like Alabama did, where it's forty-one thirty-eight? I don't see that happening. Nothing's impossible. I, I mean, just you don't see it happening. But the fact is, if we catch ourselves in that situation, do we want to have to? I, I just don't believe that 
we ever want to find ourselves in that situation. And if we do, the fact is I don't have confidence because yeah, we're of gonna course. No, we, don't, we don't want to find ourselves in that situation if Stetson Bennett scores. But I'm saying if we do find ourselves in that situation, just go back to last year, the Mississippi State game where JT had to come in his very first game, throw all those times. If that's Stetson, I don't think we win that game. That, that there's a good chance that's a, a true statement. I mean, I, I can't argue with that. I'm just saying, like, I don't – if our defense continues to play the way that we are and we don't get into yeah, one but, of those shootouts. But, but here's the thing, too. As good as our defense is, if, you, if you're if you asked to throw the ball more and make those dumb throws and get yourself into trouble and then all of a sudden are pinning them in bad positions, the defense can only do so much in those situations before they're worn out and tired and getting – put in bad situation after bad situation if you're going to turn the ball over when we're asked yeah. to throw more. But is there also the possibility that Stetson with more reps and more time out there can actually continue to improve and maybe cut down on some of those mistakes? I would say no because the fact is he, he is who he is. Like I said, you, you, you said, well, that Alabama game was last year. Well, he still has made a lot of those throws and, put in those, and done those things, even against Vanderbilt, a god-awful team, and yet found himself out there doing that again a year later there and he's been in college for four, four years now. Yeah. I, 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 I totally see where you're coming from there. I'm just saying like with our defense, I guess my, my take on it is if we get the right matchups with this defense, is it possible we can win a a national title sets a minute? Yes, it's possible. Is it as likely as with JT? I do not think so. I'm totally with you there. I just, I don't think it's impossible for this Georgia team. The way it's not impossible, but I I think there's going to be a time where you can't rely on your defense to win you every single game, especially in the the world we're in where the penalties and there are more advantages for the offense. That that is coming at some point. As good as our defense is at some point that's coming with how this, this game has changed over the years. Absolutely. Totally agree. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curse. I know you got to get out of here. We're running out of time. So, real quickly, I'm just going to let you go ahead. Give me uh, your game balls. Give me, uh, give me two or three guys that you want to spotlight here. And I'll follow up after you. Offensively, I mean, you can't not say Lad McConkie. I mean, the guy went out there and made some big plays happen. Um, so I definitely have to give him one because I think he deserves it the way he played, stepped in. And then number two, on I'm going to go offense again. I think Zeus, um, the guy ran really tough, especially there. I mean, there were times where he was hit at the line of scrimmage. And the old Zeus, when we were really hard on him, would go down. He wasn't someone that was running through all those tackles. But the Zeus that we saw, especially, I mean, we've been seeing it all year, but the fact is he's just getting stronger and stronger and running stronger and stronger, lower to the ground with great balance and is being a great running back and making stuff. And his vision has definitely improved a lot. His cutting, all that has improved. So you're seeing a lot better running back who's able to get into those tight windows and still make something out of nothing. So I want to give him a lot of credit because I feel like he's – really been a different guy this year and you know i was hard going into the year so i want to give him some credit and then lastly i'm going to turn the defense and um 
I'm going to go Dan Jackson. The guy came in, stepped in, and I believe he led our defense in tackles in a game where he, he probably thought he'd only play certain snaps like he had been you know, so far this year. And I feel like he, he came in and filled in admirably, and he wasn't any reason that we are passing – You know, we gave up some yards. Like He wasn't out there giving up the big plays and things. Um, so I just want to give him credit. I love all three of those, Curtis. You actually took three guys that are at the very top of my list. So just a couple of quick things to add about each of those guys. Lad McConkey, let's start there. What a game by Lad. Big play after big play. I mean, obviously, the two huge explosive plays, one that was for a touchdown, one that should have been a touchdown, as we mentioned earlier, Curtis. But he had another big first down catch earlier in the game as well. And this is a guy, I don't think it can be emphasized enough. This is a guy that was kind of a throw-in at the end of a recruiting cycle. Essentially what happened was we missed on some guys that were higher on our recruiting board than he was. We had an open spot late in the cycle. Instead of just eating that spot, we went ahead and said, hey, you know what? We have a scholarship available. We have a needed wide receiver. You're next up on our board among guys who are actually available right now. So what do you think, lad? And it was the best offer he had by a long shot. And obviously, he ended up jumping on board. And people at the time were going to like, huh? Who's this guy? If they even paid attention to his commitment at all. And what I said at the time was, hey, look, this guy, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee he's going to be a superstar. I can't guarantee that. But he's the kind of guy, if you don't take him, at some point, he's going to go to somewhere like Kentucky or he's going to go to Missouri or somewhere like that and he's just going to be a thorn in your side and you're going to be like, huh, why didn't you take that guy? Kirby Smart's going to have to answer questions in press conferences about how did you let this guy get out of state because I think he had that kind of potential. Now, coming out of high school, the reason he was under-recruited and the reason he did not get as much attention on the recruiting front is that he was rail thin. The guy was, like calling him a toothpick doesn't do justice to just how skinny and small the guy was. But when you look past that and you're just looking at his skill set, his athleticism, what he was able to do out there on the field, you saw a guy that I thought had the potential to make plays at the next level. Yeah, he had to put on weight and I had no way to know if he was going to put on weight. He has put on some weight. He's still a small guy, but he's A lot bigger now, guys, trust me, than he was like two years ago. Just trust me on that. But when you watched him play, you you didn't see guys. Sometimes you watch these guys play at the high school level. You watch their tape, and they're just the best player on the field because the level of competition is just not good. But when I watched Ladd play, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like I was sitting there watching him and saying, okay, yeah, he's the best player out there, but it's because he's not playing anybody worth anything. It's not like he's just one of those guys, yeah, he's the best player on his team, but he's not really an SEC caliber athlete. When I watched him play, it was like, oh no, this is the guy that's an SEC caliber athlete that just needs to add some weight. Now, will he add that weight? Does he have the ability to do that? I don't know. But ultimately, it turned out that we offered him. He gets the scholarship and he comes here. He goes to work. He adds a little bit of weight, adds a little mass, gets a little bigger, a little bit stronger. And now he is making big time plays for us. And one thing I love about Lab McConkey is that he just gives us something that we have not had really in my lifetime as a Georgia fan, at least like trying to think of the top of my head. Well, I take that back. Isaiah McKenzie. Isaiah McKenzie was a true, legit, prototypical slot receiver. We haven't had a guy like that since that point. And you've seen team after team over the past couple of years just absolutely carve up defenses with those kind of players. They're smaller, they're quicker, they're shiftier, but offenses have evolved to take advantage of their skill sets and maximize the skill sets of those smaller guys than they ever have at any time in the history of football. And I've wanted our own version of that, and I think Ladd gives us that. 
And both of those explosive plays in the passing game on Saturday, those were, yes, they were dialed up. It was a function of Auburn bring guys in the boxes. We won't play action there. We took shots on one-on-one coverage. Absolutely. But Ladd flat out got open because he ran incredible routes. You go back and you watch Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith was awesome. They had a great scheme, a great quarterback to give him the football, all those things. But what made Devontae Smith so good? Because Devontae Smith's really small too. What made him so good was his ability to create separation with his route running. That's what separated Devontae Smith. That's what made him different. He was never as fast. He's obviously a really good athlete and, and he's got great speed, but he was never as fast as like Henry Ruggs or Jalen Waddle. He wasn't that kind of receiver. But what made him special was his ability to create separation consistently because he was an incredible route runner. And Ladd, it's a very small sample size. I need to see more of it from him. But he showed the ability on Saturday to create separation with his route running ability. And that's something that doesn't just disappear. That's something that you can build off of and continue to utilize week after week after week. I don't think Ladd McConkey. I know we're going to get healthier receiver. I don't think this guy is done getting open. I don't think he is done making plays for us. In fact, I think this is the only the beginning for Ladd McConkey. And Zeus Curtis, that's another great choice there, man. I just kind of add on to what you said to piggyback off of that. You and I have been critical of Zeus at times, particularly as it regards his vision more than anything else and the ability to see that hole rather than kind of just put his head down and kind of plow through the line. This year, however, I think Zeus is doing what I was begging him to do last year, which is make a fool out of you and I there. There's probably no one on this team that I root harder for than Zamir White, considering his background and just the kind of guy he is behind the scenes. I've only heard just incredible things about the young man, and I hated every second of criticizing him for some of those issues with his vision. But right now, he is flat out making fools out of us because I'll go ahead and say it. Zamir White, at least right now, is the best running back on this team. We are better when Zamir White is in the game. I think Kittle Milton's going to be fantastic. I love Kenny McIntosh. I think Kenny McIntosh is kind of an all-around awesome back. And James Cook is doing things this year that we have not seen him do consistently throughout his career. Hasn't really had, a, had the opportunities to do it, but he's running between the tackles on top of being able to do all the things in space and in the passing game that we've always seen from James Cook. But Zamir White has taken his game to the next level. This is the version of Zamir White that I was expecting to see coming out of high school when he had some of the best high school running back tape that I had ever seen. Obviously, the knee injury set him back. Those back-to-back ACL tears, heartbreaking for the young man, but he has bounced back. And I think right now he is playing at a level that he has never really come close to playing at while he's been at the college level. His vision is there. Not only is he seeing the hole, but he's cutting really well. He's making people miss in space. And that's another one of my criticisms of Zeus in the past is that he kind of sought out contact because... He is a big, strong, powerful back, and I understand him wanting to utilize that ability, but I think sometimes he went too far in that and was seeking out contact in the past. I don't see that from him right now. Now, he's still very powerful. I mean, that touchdown run he had 
to seal the game in the fourth quarter. That was all Zamir White. There was a free runner on that play. So Kobe McLean was a free runner. They outnumbered us in the box. We had no blockers to account for him, but it didn't matter because he bounced right off Zamir White. It's like Zeus didn't even feel the contact. He just absorbed it and did not move back an inch and just kept moving forward for the touchdown. Zamir White, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to say it. He is the best running back on this team right now, and I think it'll probably stay that way throughout the rest of the season. Honestly, I know we have all these guys, and they are all really, really good. There's not much of a drop-off when any of them are in the game. They're all fantastic. But I would honestly like to see Zeus get more carries, get lathered up more. Now, he did get the lion's shares of the carries in this game, but I would like to see that happen more consistently at this point because I think this guy is playing lights out football at the running back position right now. I waxed poetic about Dan Jackson last week, so I'm not going to go there again. You guys know how I feel about him. I made that clear last week, but Curtis, that's a great call. Dan Jackson stepped in when he was need to step in, next man up, right? And played an outstanding game there at safety and was certainly not a liability for us. So those are probably the three that I was going to go with at the top of my list. So I'll uh, I'll dig a little deeper here, Curtis, and give you a couple more guys that we have not mentioned today that I thought played really well. I'm going to start off with Quay Walker. I think this might have been Quay Walker's best game as a Georgia Bulldog. And Quay's been really, really good. But we know what Quay is capable of doing in terms of moving in space. He's a big guy that also moves really, really well. He's always been a good blitzer. I think he's an underrated blitzer. And that's really what he did in high school more than anything. So he kind of had that muscle memory from high school. He's always been able to do that really here at Georgia. But he has become a true inside linebacker. There were multiple examples on Saturday against Auburn. It's a good rushing team. Again, a top 15 rushing offense where he fit against the run with authority right at the line of scrimmage. It really is an embarrassment of riches for us at the inside linebacker position. We've given game balls to Nicobe Dean. We've given game balls to Channing Tindall. But now I want to give one to Quay Walker, give him his just due as well. In fact, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll double down on it. I think Quay Walker will get drafted higher than any of our three inside linebackers, at least the, the three guys that are in our consistent rotation with Tyndall, Dean, and obviously Quay Walker. I think he's just a better fit the NFL level. I think his size, speed, athleticism combination is going to leave scouts drooling at the NFL Combine. I think he has a really good chance, if he continues this level of play, of working himself into the first round. I also want to give a big shout out here, throw a game ball to Broderick Jones. When Jamari Salyer went out in the second quarter, the game was still relatively-ish in doubt. Like we hadn't completely sealed the deal at that point. Auburn was still in the game. I was concerned when Jamari Salyer went out. Jamari Salyer is our best offensive lineman. He's our most consistent offensive lineman. I knew when he went out, that means we were going to have to bring in Broderick Jones. And I'm very high on what Broderick Jones can be down the road. I think he has an extraordinarily high ceiling. He's an incredible athlete. But in that setting, in that moment, I wasn't sure that Broderick Jones was ready to come in and play that many snaps at the level that we needed him to play at if we wanted to pull away and win that football game. But Broderick Jones is another guy who proved my doubts wrong. Broderick Jones came in and played at a very high level Saturday afternoon in Jordan Hare. He was great in pass protection. He was great in the run game. He was getting pretty consistent movement. 
against a, a solid-ish defensive line, not an elite defensive line, but a good defensive line, held up really well in pass protection, did not really give up any pressures that I saw after watching it live and through the first rewatch. I'll go back and watch him a little bit more closely specifically with the next rewatch, but I didn't see any glaring issues in protection on that first rewatch and, and being there in the stadium. Obviously, we did not throw the ball that much, but when he was given opportunities to protect, I thought he did a really good job. And finally, I want to give a shout out here. Let's give this is kind of a, a two for one special here. I'm going to give two game balls in one. I'm going to give them to our tight ends, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. You're going to even throw in John Fitzpatrick as well. Not for what they did in the past game. They weren't major factors in the past game. Obviously, Darnell Washington had a big catch where he rumbled on the over route for 25 yards. And then you have Brock Bowers had one big catch today at a 33 yard reception in the first half. But combined, well, they had three catches for 68 yards, a solid day by the tight ends, but not what we have seen in other games earlier this season. But that's not what it's about for me. And this game is about their run blocking. Those guys blocked their tails off on Saturday, all three of them. Now, we know Darnell with his size, strength, all that combination. He's able to go in there and just decimate, devastate defensive linemen. We saw it last year. We saw it in his first game back last week. We saw it again on Saturday. But Brock Bowers is a guy that's not as big and strong and powerful as Darnell, but has really started to come on as a blocker. You can tell that's not really where his comfort level is right now, but he's a willing blocker. He's an eager blocker, and he's improving every single game in that regard, as you'd expect. We saw that from Darnell last year. Darnell, as big and strong as he was at the beginning of last year, wasn't that kind of blocker. That's not really what he did a lot in high school. Most of these tight ends don't do it all that much in high school. These guys that are these big five-star recruits at the tight end or high four-star recruits in Brock Bowers' case at the tight end position coming out of high school. These guys are pass catchers. So they got to come in and they got to buy in and they got to learn and give both these guys credit. They bought in, they've learned, they continue to improve. Fitzpatrick is a guy that, you know, when he, he, he was rusty when he came back to start the season. He missed most of fall camp, large chunks of fall camp, was cleared right before the Clemson game. And there was a little rust there. You could clearly tell he wasn't as technically sound as he typically is, as he has been in the past, as he was last year. But he's a guy that's also rounding back into form in the blocking game. And those three guys, they're a big reason why our running game is starting to take off more and more with each passing game. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Thank you guys, as always for supporting us and listening in to the show today. We'll have a lot more for you the rest of the week. We're going full speed ahead, putting our eyes on the big matchup, a 3.30 CBS game against Kentucky this coming Saturday. We'll have the mailbag episode on Tuesday where we will take one more look back at the week that was against Auburn. We will also start to take a look ahead to Kentucky in that episode as well. We've already got a couple of questions about the Kentucky game. Then, of course, I'll be back on Wednesday with our Kentucky game preview. And Charlie and I will wrap up the week with our picks of the week on Thursday. So a lot of great stuff for you guys. Thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always... Go dogs!